welcome into another edition of Pick and Pod. I'm your host, Charlie Mizano, alongside Emmanuel Barbart and Peter Hudek. How are you guys doing today? Doing great. Excited to talk some basketball. Doing real good. Knicks Nets, a little hometown rivalry coming in tonight. Excited to watch it. All right, but before we go into any Knicks or Nets talk, we got to talk about the big news yesterday. That's the NBA All-Star Game starters were released. Um, and there were some notable snubs, but we'll get into that after we talk about the starters. So in the West, we'll, our backcourt will be Steph Curry and James Harden, who are both having phenomenal years. And then team captain LeBron James, who led all voters uh, in the most votes in the league, will round out the front court with KD and um, my Paul my, George and Paul George on the Thunder, sixth All Star appearance of the year of his career. And in the East, it's a pretty good lineup, but compared to the West, it's nothing, uh, nothing big. We got Kyrie Irving, and uh, we have Kyrie Irving, Kawhi Leonard. Uh, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, who's the team captain because he led the East in votes, and uh, the the hometown kid Kemba Walker, uh, who was who is with the Hornets, they're hosting this year. We'll round out that that lineup, guys. What's your um, reaction to those lineups? I think the West is so stacked; it's almost ridiculous. And I think that's because LeBron's there now, because you have LeBron, who's the captain of that team, and. He's been in the East all these years, kind of balancing the scales. But now that you have Steph, Harden, and LeBron, and KD, and Paul George on this, uh, I mean, it's outrageous. I don't think the East compares to that lineup. There's obviously some phenomenal talent there. But adding LeBron to what was already stacked Western Conference team is pretty absurd. Yeah, LeBron thrown in there. I, we don't know if he's going to play. He's hurt right now. I don't think he should play in the All-Star game. Oh, he's the definitely going to play. Do you think he's going to play? Well, what if that's the game where he has to return from this groin injury? That, I mean, that looked the weird. The All-Star game's another month away. I think he'll be definitely ready for the All-Star game. Yeah. I, What's I was, his timetable? We got a couple more weeks of this? It was like this? day-to-day in December, and you know he's missed like three weeks since then. So I don't really think they're letting anyone know what his timetable well, is. Well, today right is now. January 25th, and he injured himself on Christmas Day, the 25th so of it's December. it's been a full month. So it's been a month. Who knows when he'll be back, but if he isn't that far into a groove yet, let's say he's only a couple games back, with the Lakers, I'm, I'm not sure if I want him playing in the All-Star game, something that's more of a have-fun exhibition where they're trying to do all these alley-oop dunks and just put on a show for the fans. Well, we'll have to see. I mean, again, the All-Star game is not for another month, but uh, there were some some sort of snubs when, when it comes to uh, the All-Star game starting lineup because the fans voted. That only counts for 50% of the vote. And then players, coaches, uh, and media members comprise of the other 50%. But... Fans wanted to see Luka Doncic, Derrick Rose, and on the East, Dwayne Wade. Dwayne Wade is his final season in the NBA. He probably won't make the All-Star team, and those other two guys probably won't make the team either. I mean, Rose said himself he thinks this season has been his best season of his career, even better than the 2011 MVP season. He's averaging 18.6 points per game. Uh, He's having his best three-point percentage of his career, 41%, and Doncic is the rookie of the year favorite. What do you guys think of them not making the team as start, I mean, they probably weren't going to make the team as starters anyway, but the fact that they probably won't even be a reserve on the team is probably what fans are not happy about the most. It's really interesting because you have those two guys who are more than worthy to start here, but they're both going to be there. They're both being honored for their efforts. When I look at these two starting lineups, I don't see any faults in either of them. I see the stars that the fans want to see, and I see guys who are having terrific seasons. LeBron's going to be in the starting lineup. Like, There's no denying that. So whether he's been out a month, two months, three months, he's got to be there. He's got to play if he can play. And then the rest of the guys, I mean, you look at the East, Giannis, Kyrie, 
Kemba, Kawhi, and Beat. I don't see anything wrong with that starting lineup. Yeah, between Dwayne uh, Rose and Doncic, my only problem is I I really want to see Dwayne Wade at the All Star game. Guys had a phenomenal career. Um, he really should be there since it's his last season. Uh, Rose, you know, the fans want to see Rose. That's interesting, but I don't think he should be there. Doncic, he's gonna have plenty of time. He's gonna be at the All Star game. Just be, he's gonna be at the festivities because of the rookie sophomore challenge. So Doncic will have plenty of years. He'll be all-star for years to come. There's no reason for him to be one this year. And people are making the argument because Kobe Bryant made the all-star team in his final year, and that definitely wasn't the best season of his, of his career. And there are plenty of other sports. Like People make the argument that Derek Jeter shouldn't have been an all-star in his final year in baseball. Just plenty of uh, examples when it comes to that. But the reserves for the all-star game will be released next week. And... Uh, whether or not some people drop out because of injury or they just don't want to play, we'll have to see. But one of the players who definitely won't be on the team, who will make the team, but definitely won't play, is Victor Oladipo. After uh, rupturing his quad this week in a Pacers game, they beat the Raptors that game. But they're currently third in the East, and they face one of the hardest schedules in the Eastern Conference after the All-Star break. This team was destined to possibly make the Eastern Conference Finals or the second round in the playoffs, and now they're pretty much done for. Pretty crazy when you think about it, and Oladipo has been one of the better players in the league, as Charlie mentioned in the segue, almost definitely would be there. The Pacers are still going to be a playoff team. They've solidified that place in the Eastern Conference, but this is undoubtedly a huge blow. You look at their legitimacy with teams like Toronto and Milwaukee, teams that are definitely going to be there when it's all said and done. Now you're playing without Oladipo. This is a huge blow. Maybe turns it into more of a three, four, if you're generous, team race in the East. And Indiana definitely out of that equation. Yeah, it really hurts the Eastern Conference. Um, I think the Pacers are definitely going to fall out of having home place, but they'll they'll make the playoffs. The East isn't really too stacked. I just don't want them to make any you know dangerous moves. Try and get someone that maybe will push them a little bit, but won't make a difference in the playoffs. You guys don't think at all that with their hard schedule in the second half, they'll possibly fall out of the playoff race. I mean, the East is pretty bad. A lot of the teams that are on the fringe are under 500, but you never know uh, if they end up facing a lot of hard teams out west, go on a west coast road trip, lose, I don't know, five out of six on a trip like that. It's it's very hard to tell right now. Especially with a team rising like the Nets, who could possibly surpass them. I could see them falling very far into that thick of the race, maybe seventh or maybe an eighth seed by the end of the season, but they're 17 games over 500. They've created themselves a nice cushion, so... Unless they play 18, 19 games under for the rest of the season, which is hard to see any basketball team doing, let alone the bottom teams in the league, I think they'll be in it. I just think Oladipo, first of all, puts a wrench in all the deep playoff run plans and also puts a wrench in them being a top four East team. Yeah, I'm looking at the standings right now. The only team I think that is looking in from the outside that can make some noise is the Pistons, but I don't have too much faith in that team. They seem kind of like a mess. I just watched a uh, post-game interview with Blake Griffin just calling out the team, and then Reggie Jackson made an untimely, uh, what's it called when you get in there on the... He, fo- uh, he video-bombed him. <laughs> yeah, he video-bombed him. It, it was that very, was really awkward. It was, really, it was a bad look for the Pistons. Uh, I don't really believe in that team. And, uh, of course, the other big news across the league before we head into our uh, local talk is the Golden State Warriors. DeMarcus Cousins came back last week after missing almost a full calendar year with a ruptured Achilles. And they're back to pretty much where everyone expected them to be. First place in the Western Conference, 34 wins, 14 losses, and they're clicking on all cylinders. They are nine wins in a row, so clearly the Cousins' return hasn't been much of an adjustment period for the Warriors. And 
you're almost waiting for them to go on that run because it seems like all these years of the Warriors dynasty, they go on this 25-3 and three or some outrageous run to start the season. You didn't see that this year. They were still elite. Now they're kind of just taking off, and now they have a stronghold on that one seed in the Western Conference. I think they're going to keep it. So the Cousins addition, we knew it would make them all that more stacked. Now they can afford for someone to go down or maybe take the foot off the gas pedal. And a guy like Cousins being in there and finding his groove is only going to make them that much better. Manuel, they haven't lost the game in January. Really ridiculous. They're undefeated in the new year. They haven't lost in 2019 yet. Will they lose in 2019? That's oh, a qu- yeah, I mean, <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> yeah, but like you know, we all we all like to look at the NBA and say stuff like, "Oh, you know, the the Rockets could make some moves in the playoffs. The Thunder could make some moves in the playoffs." When the Warriors signed DeMarcus Cousins, we all kind of knew what was going to happen. They were going to win another final unless some crazy injuries happen. It's crazy. You just look at these box scores since DeMarcus Cousins came back. You're like, oh, Clay Thompson's the fourth quarter. He's only scored three points. The other team must have a shot. And it's like, nope. Steph's, you know, dropped 30. KD's dropped 30. Draymond has 20. This team, there's they've got five all-stars, and it just seems, who, who are you going to I, I wouldn't guard Draymond, but, you know. I'd like to see the Warriors play the Eastern Conference in the oh <laughs> in the All-Star game. That would be extremely interesting. I think they'd have a shot. That's the funny thing. The thing I find most miraculous about what the Warriors do is the point spread. So you have a guy like KD, Steph, Clay on the same team, and they all put up All-Star numbers. You'd think there's only one ball and it would be so hard to spread, but the mix of what they're able to accomplish, even DeMarcus Cousins, He's averaging 20 minutes a game since he came back. He's averaging 13 points a game, 7 rebounds. Those are really good numbers, considering he's on a super team. And I like how you brought up the idea. I saw this on ESPN Twitter today. Uh, the idea of starting, of, do, of having a game against the Warriors starting five between the starting five of the Eastern Conference and the All-Star team. I personally would take the starting five of the Warriors over that team. I, I agree. I, this Warriors team could compete in an All-Star game. Or with, think about it. You have on the eastern side, we were just talking about the starting lineup, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kyrie, Kemba, Kawhi, Embiid. Is that that much better than the Warriors starting five? No, no I mean, DeMarcus Cousins was arguably the best center of the league last year. I think people have forgotten that with the rise of players like Jokic. You know, Anthony Davis has had a phenomenal season, as so has Embiid. But, you know, if, if DeMarcus Cousins can fully come back from uh, that ACL tear, I think it's really going to, you know, be <laughs> the best team of all time, talent-wise. Yeah, I mean, an Achilles injury is not easy to get over. Um, but another injury for another team, that's the Brooklyn Nets, who are 26-23, and 23, six in the Eastern Conference, five wins in a row. They're playing a, a really, really down Knicks team tonight, possibly f- six wins in a row. Uh, but the big news for them, besides the play of D'Angelo Russell, who's playing like an all-star, is their loss of Spencer Dinwiddie, who has a thumb injury, possibly out four to six weeks. And uh, this is not a good time for him to go down. Karis LeVert already out. Alan Crabb out. They just got rid of Kenneth Reed, who wasn't really in their equation of playing time, but just a lot of guys going down for this team. Pretty crazy, and you look at what the Nets have already had to cope with. The fact that they've gone on this run and gotten themselves out of the doldrums into playoff contention in a year where they maybe weren't supposed to be this good without Karis LeVert, and he's already out. You add Dinwiddie, a guy who's averaging 17 points a game, a huge part of this team already to that. The Nets better hope that there's an injury where it's a playing through the pain type of thing, where maybe he could continue to piece together his season, maybe not be as effective, but still contribute heavily to the team. 
if it's anything more than that, if it's an injury that wipes him out for the rest of the season, all the Nets' hopes and what they've been able to muster so far, it kind of goes down the drain. It would be tough to see because there are some really good vibes going on in Brooklyn. So definitely a tough injury to absorb if you're Brooklyn. Yeah, you just got to hope that these timelines with these guys are correct because Dinwiddie and Levert are both supposed to come back this season. Uh, the Levert injury looked really scary. I'm surprised that that was the timetable. He, he might come back this season. But if those guys can come back, I think the Nets can make some real noise. I mean, with the Pacers, Noel Depot, I don't really have too much, you know, uh, I don't know. But the playing those top four teams, I think the Nets, I'd rather have them above maybe the Hornets and the Heat. Well, they're. I think there's still – 90% they have a 90% chance to make the playoffs cuz just how depleted the east is even without Spencer Dinwiddie but to have to be without him in the playoffs if that was to happen would be a huge blow but they like I mentioned before they have D'Angelo Russell who's been playing like an all-star um 19 points a game he's averaging six and a half assists a game he's just been playing like a, a guy that the Lakers probably shouldn't have gotten rid of so easily back when they traded uh, traded for him in a couple of summers ago. He's actually turning into a star. So now if you're the Nets, you assess moving forward. Where does D'Angelo Russell play into this? Is he an actual frontline star in the league? They're, of course, going to try to attract some of those top-tier players in the offseason, but this makes it a heck of a lot easier for them. They actually have a star in-house that's grown and budded this year. So that's a great development for the Nets. You would have hoped that Dinwiddie could make it through the season. We'll see how that goes, but any stretch that you're playing without that guy is going to be hurtful to their chances. But as Charlie mentioned, 26 and 23 right now, it's crazy that their percentage to make the playoffs would be about 90%, but it is because you're looking at the 7 and 8 seeds in the East, probably going to end up being, what, 38, 39 win teams when it's all said and done. They could be under 500. Right. So they could take a step back. We were kind of talking about the Pacers. They have such a cushion. They can take a step back and make it. I think the same applies to a team like the Nets. They're three games over. They're still going to be serviceable no matter who they're playing with. I think they're a playoff team in the East when it's all said and done. I mean, right now the 7-8 and eight seed, the Hornets and the Heat, are both under 500. So it's very conceivable that you can make the playoffs in the Heat with a record that's under 500. Um, with D'Angelo, it's nice to see him finally tap that potential. Right. You hope it's not that he's just hot for this month. And you hope it's just not that he's hot for this next half of the year. And then, you know, he sort of cools off because he's a free agent at the end of the year. And you don't want to be signing D'Angelo Russell if it's just he's playing really well in a contract year. You give him a lot of money, he comes back, he's not the same player. Well, he's a restricted free agent, so I don't think he's going anywhere unless the Nets decide to sign two max free agents. And that's a, another good segue that I wanted to talk about. If D'Angelo, a lot of people on Nets Twitter have been saying D'Angelo Russell to the All-Star game would be pretty huge for the Nets team because he can talk to other All-Stars who are potentially free agents, a.k.a. Kevin Durant, maybe if Jimmy Butler makes it makes the team, who reports in the past couple of months have been that him and uh, Sixers head coach Brett Brown have been uh, not getting along. By him being there, he can talk to them and maybe see if they would be interested in coming to Brooklyn rather than going to the Knicks, who are literally going nowhere. They're 10-36 and 36 and are looking for the number one overall pick in the league. If I'm not mistaken, were there reports that Butler had the Nets on his list of teams yes. earlier? Yeah. yeah, so I could see Butler as a guy the Nets could potentially get. I think that's realistic. I'm not sure if I see a guy like Durant taking that situation seriously. I think the Nets have caught the league by surprise, but I think Durant's such a weird guy that he's going to want to go to the top team in New York or no team in New York. So I'm not saying the top team in New York and the Knicks as to say the Knicks are in better shape. 
Not to say the Knicks aren't a joke because they are a joke right now, but it is Madison Square Garden. And I think if Durant's going to make a play like that, completely change the aspect of his career, I think it would be the Knicks. But to play devil's advocate, why go to the Knicks when they're probably this top the top three worst teams in the league when you can go to Brooklyn and they already are a playoff roster? You got D'Angelo Russell. You maybe get another guy like Jimmy Butler on a on a less expensive contract, and you you could pretty much compete in the Eastern Conference right there. Here's the only thing I'm holding on to, and you make good points saying the Knicks aren't an attractive destination. I think Fizdale has ties. Regardless of how bad the season has been, I think he's lost the locker room. I don't, I don't like the job he's done, but I think he has ties. I think the aura of Madison Square Garden still plays in that equation. I also think if KP comes back and he's somewhat healthy and he's somewhat the player he used to be, and then you add a Zion to that equation, that's a pretty attractive scenario. All of a sudden, for a team that may only win 15, 20 games. But again, with the Zion factor, that's only a maybe. They'd have to get the number one overall pick, or if they get the third pick, just hope a guy, a team like Cleveland or Phoenix get picks uh, R.J. Barrett or Cam Reddish. But realistically, Zion Williamson is going number one overall, and if the Knicks don't get that number one pick, I don't think that the team would be as attractive. I just think the Knicks are that bad where they could fall into the number one pick. Oh Yeah, of course. With the Knicks' luck in the past, though, they're going to find a way to win the final two games of the season. It's going to be a battle between themselves and who else is down there? The Cavs. Cleveland and Phoenix. Right. And Chicago. The Knicks will find a way to leapfrog one of those teams and then not not get the favorability in the lottery. So as a a Knicks fan, it, it, it seems like that's the way it would go. But I think that's a scenario where... KD, even with the mojo the Nets have right now, would still see the Knicks as a more viable destination. Uh, when Discussing the Knicks, they're one of the top th- three worst teams in the league because they want to be, and I think that's really good. They're finally embracing the tank. They're not playing top players like Tim Hardaway as much. They're not even playing Ennis Cantor. They want to trade Courtney Lee. I think what would grab Kevin Durant's attention is if we could move a player like Tim Hardaway, then maybe we could sign two free agents. There's been a little turmoil in in Boston. I know Kevin Durant's buddy-buddy with Kyrie. Maybe we get both of them. We get KP comes back. If that pick doesn't turn out to be Zion, if it's three, maybe you move it for another player. Look at that. We got four four possible all-stars right there. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah, because the Knicks have so much maneuverability if you have a top three pick plus a healthy KP. A lot of that depends on the KP situation, which is a separate discussion because KP coming back, being close to the guy he was in his 7'3 frame is a big question mark in itself. So everything could go south for the Knicks. Mm-hmm. There is that devil's advocate uh, scenario where the Knicks don't get any of that to happen. But there is a scenario where the Knicks have multiple attractive pieces that get a Kyrie or a Kevin Durant in town. And just to pivot back to the Nets, because they do deserve uh, New York's attention. They do deserve a national spotlight. They are six in the Eastern Conference right now. Realistically for the playoffs, what are we what are we thinking in terms of ceiling for this team? I mean, right now they would, they would uh, match up. The three seed in the Eastern Conference Indiana. would be Indiana, but, but it's not gonna, that's not going to happen. It's yeah. probably going to be Philadelphia or Boston. First I, round upset or first uh, round sweep? I think if the Nets could go into the playoffs and take a team like Boston or Philadelphia six, I think that's a successful season. You're in the playoffs ahead of schedule. You put up a series against one of those teams, maybe win a couple of home games in Brooklyn. I yeah. think that's a successful season for them. I don't think they have to 
pull off an upset or win a first-round series to be content with how it all shook out. Yeah, I mean, before the season, we were talking about the Nets not even making the playoffs. So them being in the playoffs is a success. And then if they if they match up with a team like the Celtics or the Sixers, a lot those two teams they've had a weird season, you know, locker room wise. I think definitely the Nets could win a couple uh, those games, not the series, but definitely a game or two. And I have to give credit where credit is due. First episode of the season. Billy Reinhart, our Nets beat reporter, came on this podcast, <laughs> said the Nets will at least be an eight seed. I thought it was blasphemy. Me too. <laughs> I thought they were going to be right with the Knicks in the bottom of the Eastern Conference. And look where they are now, possibly clinching uh, a playoff spot for the first time since 2012, 2013. Hey, a broken clock is right twice a day. So, <laughs> no, no, we'll, no we'll, give, we'll give credit to Billy. He's been on the Nets train for a long time, and he's one of the biggest Nets gurus I've ever seen, let alone oh here. God. So... You know, let them have their fun. They're in a good spot as a franchise. They have good management. They have a good coach. They have a good team. So let's see where they go from here. Let's see if they can make Brooklyn the attractive New York destination. Yeah, I'm sure Billy's having fun with the five other Nets fans. (laughs) As one of the top three Twitter sources for the Brooklyn Nets. (laughs) All right, so the Nets play the Knicks tonight. The Knicks, seven losses in a row, 10-36. and We've been talking about them throughout our little Nets segment, too, because they're just that big of a topic. But the the biggest topic of this team has to be the, the locker room issues between Alonzo Trier the other day against the Rockets and their 114-110 loss. James Harden erupted 61 points at the Garden, trailed by uh, Mello, who has 62 points uh, in the Garden by most of any player um, in NBA history at, at Madison Square Garden. Him and Tim Hardaway Jr. have been arguing between uh, not pa- having him pass the ball or Alonzo Trier going on social media and talking about how at the end of a play in the fourth quarter against the Rockets, it was supposed to be a switch, and Tim Hardaway Jr. comes out and says, oh, so he's blaming other people. And uh, David Fisdale talks about how um, the Ennis Cantor situation, how Enos wants to be traded, and he was asked if he's a distraction. He goes, what, are we going to lose more games? It's just downright awful right now in New York, and I don't know how to explain what's going on. This team isn't media savvy. They're not handling things the right way. I think that Fizdale comment wasn't the, the best uh, directed, and Cantor isn't making things any easier. He could be more quiet. He could really stay out of the light a little more. It, it was all fun and games in the beginning of the season, but when it comes down to the Knicks and what they're planning, I, I think you got to get Cantor out of town. you got to find a way to trade him somewhere else because – Obviously, whether they're trying to tank or not, and you never know what's going inside the Knicks' mind with with the lineup decisions, but Cantor's not going to be happy about it, and he's going to be outspoken wherever he goes. So Cantor knew he was getting into something when he opted in, and that is a reason alone, I think, to keep his mouth shut. But it's obviously not going to happen. So to avoid some of this turmoil and maybe better position the franchise for this offseason and the draft – then you got to get some of these guys out of town and cut some of this fat. Hey, he wanted that money. He wanted the $18.6 million, and now he, at this point, I agree with you. I think he should just keep his mouth shut as much as possible, wait for your, your agent in the Knicks to make a move. If not, sit out the rest of the season, whatever, get some playing time here and there, and then next year you go out and you sign somewhere else if you really aren't happy with the situation in New York. But you made a decision. You have to live with it. I don't blame Cantor for wanting to play. Obviously, he's a free agent next year. Every game he doesn't play hurts how much money he's going to make. Tim Hardaway, I don't really care that he's unhappy because I don't really want him on the team going forward. I hope he gets traded. My problem is with Alonzo Trier, he can't act this way, and this is a guy I want to be on the Knicks for years to come. So I think Fizdell has to sit him down and be like, you can't DM fans. You can't blame other people for losses. We're all on the same team. 
you know, he has to really tell Trier how it works in the NBA. It's tough decisions for the Knicks. You got to balance talent with locker room chemistry and who you want moving forward. And these decisions now with the current state of the team are coming earlier than you would have expected. You would have expected this at the end of the season. Now you kind of got to yeah. decide before you got to trade these guys. Yeah, and just uh, before we wrap up here, there in this season you got to. I know it, there's a lot of negatives, but you have to look at some of the positives. Some of those positive ha- positives have been Kevin Knox, Eastern Conference Player of the Month in December. He's been playing a lot better as a 19-year-old rookie. Um, Mitchell Robinson's finally back healthy. He should get some some more playing time. And Frank Nilakina, he's been a, one of the negatives. But the past couple of games, he's been stepping it up defensively and shooting the ball well. There's no reason why you shouldn't be giving Neil Aquino looks almost every night. you gotta, you got to make sure this kid's getting his share. You don't know what he's going to turn into, but in a lost season, you at least got to run this kid out and see if he could develop any sort of consistency. So that's one scenario where I don't see any reason why the Knicks should be starting someone like Moutier, maybe over someone like Neil Aquina. It needs to be every night for this kid. Yeah, other positives. Trier, even though his all his off-court stuff, a steal in the second round, and Moutier and Vonley have kind of been these surprising pickups who have played pretty well. Yep, so that'll do it for our talk today on Pick and Pod. Make sure you tune in next week when we talk about more Knicks and Nets, and of course, once the All-Star Game reserves are announced, we'll delve into that topic. But until next time, for Peter Hudek and Emmanuel Barbari, I'm Charlie Maizano. Thanks again for listening.